We really think European butter from France is the best butter. And our friend, the expert baker and best-selling cookbook author David Leibovitz agrees. Check out our recent episode with David to find out how he cooks with quality butter. And for recipes, tips, and cooking advice, go to tasteeurope.com. I wanted to be in that kind of environment where it's like super intense and you cry every day. I don't know, there's something about that environment that I really want to be a part of. So like, we came back to New York because mm-hmm. I was married to him by then and we both really wanted that very intense fine dining training. You're listening to The Taste Podcast. I'm your host, Eliza Barbanel. Today, I'm happy to welcome my friend Sola El Whaley on the podcast. Sola is one of the busiest people I know in food. She's developing recipes, hosting videos, even judging the cooking competition, The Big Brunch. And today we'll discuss it all and also dive into what she was up to before becoming one of the most viral stars in food media today. Catching up with Sola is always a delight, and I hope you'll enjoy this conversation. Sola Oleli, welcome to the Taste Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy you're here. I, I have so many questions for you. And I want to start by asking you about something that you wrote about in Cake Scene, which is the magazine that I run with Tanya Bush that we've discussed on the show in the past. I'm just going to read you this quote and... I just need some context because I've been dying to know. <laughs> okay, Sola L. Whaley is a recipe developer and writer based in Manhattan. As a child, she once spent six months baking Betty Crocker Kate Mix and singing happy birthday to herself every day. What was what was going on there? <laughs> Have you always been just like obsessed with food and baking or birthdays or something else? Yeah, I don't know why my parents allowed it, but it's like, One of those things that I don't remember, but all my aunts and uncles love to tell me the story Mm. about how I had this phase where every day I had to bake and frost a cake mix and sing happy birthday to myself. And I don't know why they allowed it, but they did. And I still have like this deep love for box mix. Like my goal has always been to try and make a recipe that's as good as box mix. (laughs) And I, I think I've come close But it's so hard to pull off without like a whole bunch of uh, industrial ingredients. But there's something about that like super, super soft, almost like it like melts in your mouth kind of situation that I just like love. But yeah, I guess I've always really liked cake. I mean, same. Are you talking about funfetti or was it different kinds of boxed cake mix? It was different kinds. I think I've baked through every single flavor that they have. But my favorite is uh, yellow cake with the fudge frosting. Mm, that is just like the platonic ideal of a cake for a lot of people, I think. Mm-hmm. And, I, and Yellow Rose, I think, does a pretty good one. Oh, there's is so good. I feel like you love Yellow Rose also. That's like a, a shared interest <laughs> of ours. Yeah, we go there like once a week. Um, to get the cake or everything else? Everything. Okay. I love the bean and cheese taco, the, the vegan queso. They have three different quesos, but my favorite is actually the vegan. Is it a cashew queso? You know, I've never asked. Mm. I mean, why ask? When you're presented with good queso, I feel like you just eat as much of it as you can and ask questions later. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to talk more about New York City restaurants, but I think before I want to talk a little bit about you and like your history and food, because I think a lot of people know you as a recipe developer. You and I met working at Bon Appetit and you also appear in cooking shows like 
Ancient Menu for the History Channel and Mystery Menu for the New York Times, and I'll, I'll stop listing things. <laughs> um, but I know that you were working in restaurants before that, and so I'm wondering if you could tell me a little bit about your background in food and also maybe how your cooking style has evolved over these years and all of these different things that you've been doing. Well, I guess I first got into cooking just because uh, my mom's a really good cook, and I spent all my time in the kitchen with her. I think growing up, we didn't have toys. I would just make rotis with her. Mm. That was my playtime. <laughs> I had a tiny dowel rolling pin and I'd roll right next to her. So I really liked to cook with her, but I never thought that I would end up professionally doing this because like, I come from a family where that's very, very frowned upon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I went to school for economics and I was going to do that. But then I really, really hated it. I actually like dropped out of college the first year. Um, but the whole time I was like in high school and in school, I was always working in restaurants just cause it's a, it's a great job to have while you're doing something else. Cause the hours are pretty flexible. You can do it at night. Um, and then I really just liked being in the restaurant. Um, I loved, I loved having somewhere. So I didn't like have a lot of friends. So I loved having somewhere to go on the weekends <laughs> and holidays. Like you can always just be working. Um, so I just I really loved working in the restaurant, so I decided to go for it. Um, I wanted, I did that thing. I wanted to get into fine dining. That was like my main goal. Um, so I did that thing that everyone tells you when I went like door to door. Yeah, with like a, a printed out resume or just yeah, vibes. but there was nothing on there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it like was just your name, my name, and hey, I really like food. Um, uh, and like it totally didn't work. Nobody would give me a, I, I said I would work for free, just like let me wash dishes. So really didn't work. I went to, I lived in LA at the time. So I went to every restaurant on Ventura Boulevard because that's what I thought was fancy. Yeah. You're from there. Yeah. It's, it's If you live in the Valley, Ventura Boulevard's kind of fancy. Ritzy. Fuck Rodeo Drive. That's the <laughs> thing to be. <laughs> yeah. uh, but then I, no restaurant accepted me and I finally got a job at a, a pub. So but, well, actually, let me backtrack. I was only in chain restaurants before that, but I wanted to work at like an independent place because mm-hmm. I thought that was fancier and none of those restaurants were taking me. So I ended up finally getting a job washing dishes at a pub um, and it wasn't a restaurant, but it wasn't a chain restaurant. So I was like really excited to just be at a different kind of place. Um, and they, the owner there was really awesome and he's the first person that put me like on a hotline uh, at all the chain restaurants. I was just the salad girl. So here I actually was like cooking eggs and deep frying chicken tenders and stuff. And the, the the owner of the pub was like super supportive. He helped me do my application for culinary school and he wrote me a really nice recommendation and I was able to get scholarships and go to culinary school where I didn't learn a whole lot about food, but culinary school really gets you in the network and you can finally get into like fine dining. So like culinary school is what finally got me into the fine dining restaurants that I really wanted to go to. Yeah, and then this was in LA that you're doing culinary school as well. No, I went to I went to um, the Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park, mm. so it's like upstate New York. Cool. And then after that, when you're doing fine dining, where were you? I came back to LA for like six months. I went to uh, the Bazaar by Jose Andres. Do you remember that place? Yeah, I'm like dying to talk to you about this because I ate there when I was in high school for like my graduation or something. I'm not really sure about the timing. It was like a fancy event and I had never had food that didn't seem like food in that kind uh-huh. of way before. <laughs> and I, I feel like uh, it was so interesting. I remember there was a Philly cheesesteak that was like the bread was basically a cloud. It was like, yeah. barely held together. Yeah. And there was an olive that was like a liquefied uh-huh. 
Uh-huh. All of it looked like an olive, but it was uh, all liquefied inside. And I remember just being like, how does anyone make this? And is it even fun to be making that? Or And so I'm so curious about what it was like for you there. You know, it, it was a very high volume restaurant. So I pretty much just worked on two things the whole time. It was a huge kitchen. Um, so I worked on this like avocado roll. It Say was more. Like, <laughs> it was like you make a sheet of avocado and roll it up like with tuna in the middle. So it's kind of like a sushi, but no rice. Mm. And then there was like a hickam wrap. That's it. I was just responsible for those two things. Um, And I thought the food was good and like the chefs were nice, but I had done my internship in New York and the culture in New York is like really intense. And I wanted that kind of intensity. LA is just like really chill. Even in the fine dining restaurant space. Yes, it's very chill. You work, you work like eight to ten hours, and you get breaks. And uh, you didn't get that in New York at the time. And that I wanted to be in that kind of environment where it's like super intense, and you cry every day. I don't know. In my mind, it felt like I don't know. There's something about that environment that I really wanted to be a part of. So like, we came back to New York because mm-hmm. I was married to him by then, and we both really wanted that very intense fine dining training. We came back to New York, and um, have been here ever since. And The culture here is like, it's changed. It's more chill now. It's more like California in 2008. Uh, But New York in 2008 was still very, very intense. Um, And I I really liked that vibe because a big reason why I liked working in kitchens was because I liked being there all the time. Like Mm -hmm. I wanted the 12 hour shift. I wanted to work every weekend. At that age, that's what I wanted. Not anymore, though. Clearly, you know, things have changed and and we're here now. Um, and, and I feel like the way that you must be thinking about food is so different because instead of being immersed in this restaurant space, you're creating all of these different recipes. And I guess I'm curious if you think that having that fine dining background impacted the way that you develop recipes today or if it's two different sides of your brain because the kind of food that you're making and the scale is so different. I I feel like the restaurant experience didn't really help me with recipe development in terms of, you know, the the techniques don't really overlap. It's for a totally different audience for a totally different reason. The main thing that the restaurant experience prepared me for was just it gave me a lot of discipline. So like now, even though I work from home and I don't really have, uh, I'm like a freelancer, there's no one really telling me what to do, but I still... I still work really intensely because I just have the habit of doing that, you know? Yeah. I had to, when I switched over to recipe development, I had to learn a whole new set of skills and like think about something from a totally different perspective because uh, home cooks need something completely different. Like as a restaurant chef, I feel like a lot of the food you're developing is, it's for you. Like especially fine dining is very like chef ego driven. (laughs) It not it's not even always delicious, <laughs> you know. Uh, liquefied olive is like a really cool thing, but it's still not better than a regular olive. Yeah, I'll take a, like a nice meaty olive over liquefied olive any day, probably. <laughs> yeah, me too. But yeah. it is like a conceptual thing, I guess, more than a craveable thing on some level. Yeah, I feel like it's kind of like the difference between going to to a museum and seeing like this fancy modern art. And it's like very intellectually stimulating. But then when I come home, I want to watch Bob's Burgers. <laughs> I don't know. I love Bob's Burgers. I, I feel like it's a good comparison in some ways. Also because burgers are like the most delicious thing there is probably. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so talking about TV, I like want to talk to you about what it was like to be a judge on a cooking show, the big brunch that is on HBO. Because every time I've been in your apartment, I feel like Top Chef has been on TV. Um, So I'm curious what it was like to be on the other side of things after like watching cooking shows so much. 
Yeah, uh, I'm a huge fan of cooking competition shows, in particular Top Chef. I've been watching it since season one, and it's kind of interesting because in the when, it, when Top Chef started, I first started going into fine dining, and a lot of the things that the chefs were doing was like blowing my mind. And now that I'm like more experienced, it's interesting. I watch it now, and I actually know what they're doing. Mm. Instead of just being confused. Um, so it's been fun to track my progress through Top Chef. <laughs> <laughs> my life through Top Chef. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think uh, another big one that we, I grew up watching a lot was Iron Chef. The uh, Japanese one? The Japanese one. Yeah. I would watch that with my dad. I remember the first time I saw him take the bite out of the bell pepper. <laughs> I, that blew my mind. I loved it. Do you eat bell peppers like that now? Like uh, hand fruit? I like actually do, which is kind of embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe not the green ones, but I would eat like a good yellow bell pepper, like an apple. Fresh alone. from the market. It's delicious. Yeah, but not with witnesses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would watch that a lot with my mom. And like we would always talk about how amazing it would be to be a judge and taste all that food. So it was really cool to be able to eat all this amazing food. Just like my job was to sit for 12 hours a day and have really good food brought to me. Yeah, it's a pretty good job. And drinks also. And drinks, yeah. So was there anything like Hollywood TV magic that you were surprised that like doesn't make it into when you're watching it? Or did it feel pretty close to what you expected? I mean, I think the main thing that surprised me was how long it takes. Mm. Um, one episode is shot over two days. Um, so each like the, each episode has two challenges. So one day we shoot one challenge and the next day we shoot another. So you you're you're sitting there talking for a lot longer than you see. Like, we'll taste someone's dish, and I feel like we give, like, 20 minutes of commentary back to them. Um, But it was really nice that they gave us the opportunity to talk to the contestants for so long because uh, the goal was to really not just tell them if something's good or bad, but, like, help them learn and grow. And we actually saw that while we were there. Like, they were really—all the contestants were really humble and took all the feedback and— really improved with each challenge. And that was really fun to see. Yeah, I think as a as a viewer, I really was heartened by that. It seemed like there was a really good vibe on set and that people were doing the the kind of Great British Bake Off style thing of helping carry the plates to the pass and like that kind of collaborative energy, which I feel like you don't always see on a show that's a competition at the end of the day. The vibe surprised everybody. All the producers, like, I think everyone was hoping that everyone get along, but Everyone, like all of us, got along so well. Like the judges, the contestants, we all became such good friends. We even like changed our flights to fly home together. Oh my God. (laughs) So everyone was like, what's happening? So I really hope we get to do it again and just like hang out again. It was just really fun. Yeah, it's like summer camp. It was exactly like summer camp. Yeah. What what was the challenge that you wanted to cook the most? Wow, it was so long ago. So here's another Hollywood thing. We shoot it like nine months before you see it. Yeah. So then when it airs, everyone's asking me questions and I was like, I don't remember anything. Mm. I think watching it, the th- the challenge that made me think of you was the one that everyone had to redo um, when they were supposed to make like an iconic. Tell me if I'm getting this wrong. I think people were supposed to make an, their version of an iconic menu item such as the cronut and people didn't really deliver that kind of viral nature of it. And then the judges had everyone redo the entire challenge, which I loved as a move because it felt like, you know, we're not mad. We're just disappointed parent energy, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which was yeah. nice. Yeah. And they all did so much better on the second try. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I would want to do that one. Do you know what you would do or you have to spend time thinking? No, I would have to spend time thinking. Yeah. <laughs> come, come back to me at a later date <laughs> yeah. and we'll, we'll okay. just pop up in Washington Square Park and see if people would wait in line for it. Okay. That sounds fun. <laughs> yeah. 
So I feel like brunch is this um, kind of like famously disliked meal by people that work in restaurants. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious how you felt about it beforehand and if you feel differently now that you've spent all of this time kind of celebrating brunch. Oh, I mean, when I worked in restaurants, I hated brunch. I absolutely hated brunch. Um, It was the worst service of the week. It felt like it was the, the, the hardest it's very fast. Like when people come in for brunch, they want the food right away and they want to go because there's usually somewhere else you got to be. Mm. So it's like really quick turnarounds, very high volume, really low check average. And on top of it, I feel like some of the like the rudest customers come out during brunch. I don't know. Have you worked a brunch? No. When I worked in restaurants, I was more of like a cafe, like barista kind of vibe. So I didn't have to work brunch. But my friends that work in restaurants now don't like it. And I feel like one of the reasons is also just that um, a lot of people are night people and they don't want to be like up early making eggs for like half of Manhattan, you know. Getting up early, especially after like a Saturday night service, that's rough. But then also I think a big issue is uh, unless you have like a diner restaurant where you're doing eggs all the time, it's like really tough to change your whole kitchen setup to crank out all these eggs just like two days a week. And like if you don't have eggs every day, like if you're not Veselka, you don't have a dedicated egg cook. Like egg cooking is like one of the hardest things. When I worked at the pub, that was like one of my first jobs, just cooking eggs. But they had an egg station with six burners that was just for eggs. Um, There was one pot that was always for poaching. And as the egg cook, I did eggs every day. So you like just get really good at it. But if you're making eggs once or twice a week and you're moving your whole station around, you don't have that muscle memory. So brunch just feels so rough because... The goal always is like when when you become really good at your station, the goal is to be able to do it without thinking. But when the whole menu changes just once a week, you you never get into that flow. And that's why I think it feels so like bumpy and rough. And I really do think that people who come out for brunch are just like always a little bit cranky. They just want to get drunk or they're already like hungover. Mm -hmm. It's just like bad vibes all around. This is blowing my mind because... I like, I'm scared to say this on air, but I don't like eggs. I don't like eat eggs. I don't really make a jammy egg for other people if I'm cooking for them. But that's kind of the extent of what I do, which is also maybe a reason why I don't like brunch is that I don't have that many options and I'm not a morning person. So (laughs) if I'm eating in the morning, it's a bagel and like that's going to be enough for me. But I think it is really interesting to think about how eggs are is something that kind of everyone cooks for themselves at home, or I guess everyone's that's not me, but in a restaurant, especially for brunch with all these different preparations, I could see how that actually is like such a contained art in itself. Oh, yeah. Cooking eggs is really hard. And it's also like because everyone makes eggs, everyone thinks they know eggs really well. It's mm-hmm. like a little bit of that Dunning-Kruger effect. The what effect? Oh, oh, it's my favorite term. <laughs> <laughs> the Dunning-Kruger effect is when people who are really bad at something think they're really good this would be your favorite term yeah it's it's just like delusion kind of well it's like a lot of times when you have a small amount of information about how something's done you actually think you know more about it than you do yeah I feel like everyone has it now because of the internet like we can all go on WebMD so we think we're doctors yes we all watch cooking videos so we think we're chefs yes (laughs) we all make like a sunny side up egg at home and think that we can make I don't know an omelet perfectly in a restaurant for 300 people for 300 people while you're hungover yourself and everyone else's too Uh (laughs) uh-huh yeah so I take it you don't go out to brunch that often then no now I love brunch (laughs) plot twist okay I know I know but I only go to Veselka which I think is okay because they make the same thing every day yeah you're not inconveniencing them no I could get those eggs at like 10 p.m as well what's your order a BLT. Oh, that's not even like a brunch food. That's just no. like a sandwich. <laughs> I know. 
Yeah. I mean, a BLT to me is a perfect food. Are you getting it even if it's like out of season tomatoes, things like that? Yeah. Mm. I really love a BLT. It's like one of my favorite things. I feel really empowered that you are eating like out of season tomatoes in a BLT. Now I feel like I, I too can go forth and order BLTs all of the time. Why not? You know? I don't know. I think like growing up in, in California, being so spoiled by produce and then having some bad tomatoes, like a bad tomato that's actively bad is pretty upsetting, especially when you're really excited about the BLT. So I think mm-hmm. like that fear I've been burned in the past keeps me from doing it. No, I understand. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm going to do that after this now. Um, and speaking of restaurants, like I wanted to talk a little bit about the fact that I know that you and your husband Ham used to have a restaurant together in Greenpoint back mm-hmm. in the day, Hail Mary. Um, and I know that like opening restaurants seems kind of crazy right now, but I'm curious, like, would you ever want to open a restaurant again? Like, how do you feel about that experience at this point? The thing that I liked about restaurants before, like working all those long hours, I just don't want to do that now. I'm older now and I like having time, free time and and time to be with friends. And I have friends now. Whoa. Huge. <laughs> so it's it's not as appealing. Yeah. And also, I think like I love cooking your recipes that you develop and you probably wouldn't have time to do that if you were also running a restaurant all of the time. No, I don't know how people do anything when they have a restaurant. It's I don't think like they do. all encompassing. Yeah. yeah. So how do you approach recipe developing these days? I feel like there's so many different, you're working on a book, you do stuff for Instagram, you do stuff for your newsletter. Like, how do you decide where all of the recipes go? And is there anything that you're like, especially drawn to right now? I um, I go through these phases where I think I, I, I have a lot of ideas and then I'll think that I have no more ideas and I'll never have an idea again. Do you get that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, like just the other day, I was like, I'm, I'm never going to be able to cook again. I'm like totally burnt out. Mm-hmm. And then like the next day when I wasn't even trying to think about food, we were just like lying in bed watching Bob's Burgers. I got like 20 ideas. So it's like there's no consistency. I just um, I'll like I work a lot for a little bit and then I'll like feel totally burnt out and take a little break and then I work a lot again. Uh huh. And to pull the thread on that a little bit, were you watching something on the show that made you think about a recipe or it was just that your brain had had no thoughts and that gave you the space to have thoughts? I think it's about the no thoughts. Like I feel like when I try and think of something, there's nothing in my head. But when I'm completely relaxed and not thinking about work or food, then then I start thinking about work and food. Mm-hmm. And is it like a flavor that comes to mind or a technique that you want to tease out or any like variety of things? I think it's what I want to eat. Mm. <laughs> that usually informs everything. I like that as an answer because I think like ultimately that's what home cooks are looking for. Maybe there's an occasion that's coming up or you need to use up something in the fridge. But ultimately, it's just like whatever you want to eat. That is what matters most. Yeah, I'll always um, I always try and plan. I'll try and force myself to like figure out, OK, I want to do this for this season and that for the season. And then when it's time to actually develop those recipes, I like don't want to do it because <laughs> it's not like exactly it's not like true to what I want to eat or make. And when I just like go with my instincts and what I want to like have myself, I feel like it comes a lot easier and it's a lot more fun and the recipe's better for it. Yeah, I think there's a certain degree of authenticity that's hard to fake, which is just like the interest in you wanting to cook it that translates into someone else. Mm-hmm. And also like you and Ham are both developing recipes in your apartment. Like I'm sure there's like so much food going on. Yeah. How do you do you decide who takes turns with the kitchen? Like how do you keep everything organized and working for you? It's like it's it's the same. We'll try and have a plan. You're going to cook today. I'll cook tomorrow. But then 
you know, one of us will just be like, oh, I really want to make this right now. And we just, we make it work. Yeah. Do you cook at the same time ever? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you did that in the restaurant, so I guess it makes sense. Yeah. And uh, we, you've been to our place, you've seen, but we turned the second bedroom into more kitchen. <laughs> so for, for people who haven't been over, what is the, the second kitchen look like? Uh, so it's kind of like half of its pantry. Mm-hmm. And then there's also a table with a little induction burner and a, what's the little oven? A toaster, toaster oven. oven, yeah. So one person can work in there and you pretty much have everything you need except water. But that's definitely like the second to your kitchen to be working in because there's no water. Yeah, but it's fine. Yeah, you have all the spices right there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you also have like whiteboards up. All I feel like it, it's kind of like being in a kitchen from my understanding. Like I think like there's there's plans everywhere and everything is in like little capital letters. Like it, it seems like you're trying to keep things really organized. Yeah, the whole apartment has turned into an office, but it's kind of how we like it. We have two giant whiteboards in the whole hallway with just ideas or things we're working on or just like notes for recipes, stuff we're low on that we need to buy. Um, And it's just really nice to wake up and it's like the first thing you see. So it's like fun and easy to brainstorm. And then most of our house is like food stuff, like storage or... (laughs) Sleeping on, like, a bed of rice. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, So I guess that makes it easy to be inspired. Yeah. And do you find that you have a collaborative relationship with him when when you're developing things, or do you try to keep things to yourself? No, we talk about everything. Yeah. So there isn't really anything that, like, is fully me and fully him. We talk through everything, and we taste each other's stuff. And I guess that's what's really fun. Like, we're constantly working together on everything, and, yeah, it's nice. Yeah. What's what's the secret? Is this the secret to having a happy marriage is just both being really passionate about food? Well, I mean, I don't know. We have friends who are also like married chefs and they do the complete opposite of us. Like no talking about work at home, keeping the work separate. So I guess it just depends on what you want to do, whatever works for your relationship. But for us, like we both of our parents work together mm. in food. And so like around the dinner table, we just grew up with our parents talking about work. So it's just like what we know and what we feel comfortable with. Yeah, that's really interesting to think about, like seeing it modeled with someone else and then taking it yourself. And I feel like even to take that further, when I watch like the videos that you two do, especially for the New York Times with this like mystery menu, I don't know if you ever read the comments, but there are all these people talking about how they want to like show those videos in couples therapy because they think (laughs) that you and Ham have such a supportive dynamic towards each other in a stressful situation, uh, which I think is like really sweet to see. Honestly, like nothing we do now is stressful compared to having a restaurant. Yeah. Having an unsuccessful restaurant together, nothing will ever be worse than that. Oh, man. Was there any like especially bad things that you guys had to get through with that that come to mind? Well, the restaurant closing. Yeah. It's just like it was really like both of our goals in life was to have that and everything we had ever hoped and dreamed for and everything we had saved up for. Everything was in that. So watching that go away and it was like a really slow decline. (laughs) You know, it was like uh, the bank account was like slowly dripping away. So it's like makes it extra painful. So dealing with that was like. Oh, now anything's easy. I I guess that was like the biggest goal, but it seems to me that you are working on so many other kinds of projects and things now that like maybe are are new goals. Um, And I know that like your debut cookbook is one of them. And I'm curious like what you can say about it and how it's been going. Well, it's it's done kind of. I just have the final round of edits. What's it about? Can you say? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's like the goal is that it's a culinary school in a book. So I, I mentioned I went to culinary school. And I, 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 
did not have a great experience there. I, I'm like very anti-culinary school. It's very expensive. It's really overcrowded. And like the whole time I was there, I butchered like half a chicken. <laughs> really, like I butchered half the chicken and handed it over to someone else. And then they did the other half. Like they're very stingy with product. And when it comes to cooking, it's all just about practice. I, I opened one clam. <laughs> You're so, ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the idea is uh, the book is is like a culinary school, but a good one. Every chapter is a technique. Um, you you can either, like, you, it's kind of up to you how you experience the book. If you just want to cook some recipes, you can pick some recipes and have dinner. Or you can read each chapter, um, learn the technique, and then practice the techniques by doing the recipes. And the idea is if you work your way through the whole thing, you're going to have all the skills you need to either just become, like, level up your home cooking. Or if you want to go into the professional field, you'll have, like, a really good foundation. It's everything I wish I could have learned without having to go to culinary school. <laughs> yeah. So was it fun to to get to do something like that? It sounds like a really big project. It was fun. It was also really, uh, really hard just trying to narrow down what the core techniques should be, how they should be explained. It's really hard because food is like such a big thing. So it's definitely not everything in the world about food, but it's just about giving you like the foundation. Right. And also it's about like, in addition to the technique, I feel like the recipes that you're sharing like must have some degree of like soleness and like their flavor or something else is there like a way that you try to define what makes a recipe distinctly yours I, I guess a lot of my recipes have like global flavors mm -hmm. but I want to still keep it accessible so it's stuff that you could get at the grocery store and just like different ways to combine those things to maybe bring a different flavor profile into your life mm -hmm. but stuff you might already know I think that's a nice way to phrase it. I know that like that's kind of sometimes being introspective in that kind of way is annoying because like everything you make is yours because it's it's coming from you in the first place. Yeah, I don't really know exactly what that is yet, like what the Sola flavors are. Yeah, I mean, we're about to find out, right? There's going to be a whole book about them. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> were there any recipes that were like especially challenging to develop or did they all just kind of get in that flow state? Um, no, a lot of the pastry recipes were difficult. Um I guess the, the key was I wanted to have each recipe focus on one technique, but it's tough because a lot of recipes layer techniques, but yeah. I wanted to have like one core technique in each one. So when it got to pastry, that was a little difficult because like oftentimes you're creaming and folding or whipping and making a pudding. So, but it, I, my goal was just to make sure that like there was one main focus that yeah. you were learning from each recipe. That's, that's very like difficult I think to narrow things down in that way and when you say folding the only thing I can think about is that scene in um, Schitt's Creek that Dan Levy who's uh that your co-host on the big brunch does about folding the cheese mm -hmm. do you know what I'm talking about of course yeah <laughs> if you are, are listening and haven't watched this you should probably just go to YouTube but it's basically a recipe that says fold in the cheese and um Dan and his mother on the show who both are don't know how to cook are freaking out about like what it means to fold cheese into something yeah it's a good scene and uh it was brought up a lot during the, oh, the, really? the show. During filming The Big Brunch? Uh-huh. What about it? Just that it's funny? Uh, anytime someone was folding something. Yeah. You have to bring it up. Yeah, you have to say, oh, it's time to fold in the cheese. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think it is a really good example of the way that, like, things that seem to be intuitive to professional cooks, like, if you truly don't know what's going on, like, uh, you don't know what it means to fold in the cheese or something like that. But if you read the book, you'll know. Yeah, do you have a section? <laughs> uh... Yeah, whipping and folding, that's a chapter. Yeah, that that sounds like um 
could be a chapter in a lot of different kinds of books. <laughs> <laughs> so we ask all guests on the Taste Podcast if you could write a cookbook or a food culture book without the burden of time, so you have no deadline or budget, you have unlimited money, uh, what book that would be? And I know that you already did one, but if you were going to do another one that fit into those buckets, what would that book be? That's a hard question. Yeah. So I feel like I just did it. Yeah. But like, let's say like you could use writing a book as an excuse to travel to lots of different places or to work with like ingredients that are hard to find. Like, does anything come up for you? Well, I think it would be cool to do a book that's just about Bangladeshi cuisine and and be able to travel to different regions and really break it down. Um, it's not something I even know that much about, but I know that like when I've gone there as a child, it's very different going from one village to another. It, it's it's not even represented in a, really well in a broad way. So it'd be great to be able to like get very specific. But I imagine it would take a lot of time. Like I'm not an expert in Bangladeshi food. It's like the thing I've studied the least. So I would probably have to spend a lot of time there. Well, it sounds like the perfect book with unlimited time and unlimited money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this was so much fun, Sola. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. The Taste Podcast is hosted by Matt Rodbard and me, Eliza Abarbanel. The show is produced by Shalia Harris and Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste Online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter for updates on all cool things happening. <laughs>